right, so good evening again. I hope everybody had a, a good day. Man, it was a beautiful, another beautiful day, two in a row. It's like, hmm. Live, I heard it's about to quickly end, and we're supposed to get this hot weather again, so. But, oh well, such is life. We are on lesson 12. This is the second, next week will be the last lesson in our book uh, going over David's life. Uh, we're on Dare to Show the Way for Others. So lesson number 12. So if you've got your books, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. And um, Brother Reader, could you open us up in a word of prayer? Father, we just ask that you to help us now as we consider this uh, aspect, lesson from uh, David's life. We pray that you just work in each of our hearts and uh, help us to do what we ought to do for you. Amen. Amen. So uh, this is a kind of a good one, good lesson, kind of appropriate. It's on Father's Day. It applies to to everybody here. It applies to the ladies as well. But um, going over David and Solomon's relationship, uh, and specifically in his preparation of Solomon to be the king and uh, the builder of the temple. So one of David's greatest virtues was his willingness to ensure that his work in ministry did not end with his death. He took the time and effort to equip and prepare his son Solomon for his reign. David undertook the major project of collecting materials which Solomon would build the temple, as well as enlisting the cooperation of the prominent men of the kingdom. David knew he would not live to see it, but he clearly understood he could have an integral part in making sure this God-honoring project would come to fruition. For centuries to come, it would be called Solomon's Temple, um, referencing John chapter 10, 23, and Acts 3, 11, and 5, 12. So point number one, point number one, David, what the goal? Saul. Saul. All right. That was the easy one. The next one's really tough. So. God had appointed... Uh, Solomon to build the temple, David devoted every resource he had to equip his son and make this great task easier. Uh, Often people are not interested in expending a lot of effort for which others will get the credit. Uh, However, David was interested in the true kingdom building, not his kingdom, but God's kingdom. It is interesting to look at, yeah, but most people... If they ain't going to see it in their lifetime, and uh, what Dad was talking about this morning of, uh, you see those bumper stickers on people's Cadillacs, um, uh, this is my children's will, <laughs> like I'm spending my children's uh, inheritance and stuff. But most people, if they, if they can't see it, they don't want to work on building it. They want it in their lifetime. Um, but that's not the, the case with David. He, he saw saw the goal and was working towards it, even though that he knew he wasn't going to be the one to do it. Um, Success in any worthwhile endeavor for God is never accidental. Rather, it is the result of thoughtful goal setting and purposeful execution of the steps towards that goal, along with a total reliance on God. Uh, When I was reading this, if, if you do think about it, God is God. He doesn't need us to accomplish his goals. Um, so we look at it that way, if we're going to be, 
successful and the Lord's going to use us, um, we have to follow Him and be uh, purposeful. Uh, it's not going to be this accidental thing because nothing's an accident with the Lord. Uh, it's it's going to be a purposeful um, as, as the Lord could use anybody in anything. So it's kind of made me, made me think of that. Uh, Paul used the athletic concept of a runner pressing towards the mark as he described his focus on the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All right, Philippians 3.14. We'll read around the room like we normally do. I'll have that go ahead and lead off. To press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. An illustration here, um, Disney World opened in 1971, over four years after the death of Walt Disney. The, <clears throat> the creative director of Walt Disney Studios, Mike Vance, was approached by a woman on the opening day. She said, isn't it too bad that Walt Disney isn't alive to see this? Vance, repi Vance replied simply, he did see it, that's why it's here. So it's a vision, uh, where there's no vision, people perish, but David saw the goal. David knew the result of his planning and preparing for the temple to be built. He understood the ultimate goal. So the ultimate goal, sub-point A, the tough one, it was for the, oh, wow, you guys got all so quick. <laughs> it was for the glory of God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 16 through 27, it is encouraging to see the beginning of the story that David shows a humble heart. 1 Chronicles 17, 16 and 20. David fully realized that God deserved all the glory. The Apostle Paul felt the same way. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May the excellent and immense glory of the of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This glimpse into David's heart uh, shows us that his God was truly first in his life. Colossians 1, verse 18. David is saying, Lord, we need to build your house so your name will be magnified forever. David was truly thankful for all God had done in and through him, and now he wanted to show his gratitude to God by dedicating time, energy, and treasure to something that would glorify God. What an incredible model he gave us to emulate. All right, so we see the ultimate goal uh, was subpoint A, it was for the glory of God. Kind of a secondary goal, subpoint B, it was for the good of others. First Chronicles 17, 21 through 24. And let one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness, by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou hast redeemed out of thee. For thy people, Israel, didst thou make thine own forever, thine own people forever. Now, Lord, became us for God. Therefore now, Lord, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever, and do as thou hast said. 
let it even be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel, and let the house of David thy servant be established before thee. David's heart was ever with his people. First and foremost, David knew the people of Israel were the people of God. As David lived to glorify God and desired to build him a house out of gratitude, God had pledged to build David a house as well, not a house of stone and mortar, but a reign that should last forever. 1 Chronicles 17, 10-14, uh, referencing that. This temple was for the people as well. It was to be a house of worship in a place where God's people could pay homage. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When God's people make it their chief object in life to glorify Him, God lifts them up as well. As a quote here from H.A. Ironside, uh, History is the perpetual illustration of what is declared in this proverb. Nations, like individuals, are judged according to their ways. No country that forsook the path of national righteousness has prospered long. When pride and vanity, coupled with greed and cruelty, have been in control, the hour of humbling was not far away. Israel will be, ever be the great object lesson for all people. When the word of God was esteemed and His will honored, they prospered. When his sin and neglect of God triumphed, they became a reproach. He was right who said, Israel is the pillar of salt to the nations, crying to all people, remember. So yeah, that was from H.J. Ironside from his commentary on uh, that Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. <clears throat> By preparing... For the temple, David led his nation to serve God. While he wished to give God glory uh, overall, he also desired that his people loved and served God as well. All right. Point number two. David, what the path? Surveyed. All right. That was good. That one's a little tougher. <clears throat> he surveyed the path. In 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 2, the Bible states that David found himself at peace with all of his enemies. God had done so much for him that he felt burdened to do something for God. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, to his prophet and friend Nathan, David mused, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. To David this was just not right, that the very presence of God should have such a humble abode. Without his needing to say any more, Nathan knew what was in David's heart. David saw the goal in glorious house fit for the glory of God, but now how would he go about accomplishing this great project? And how often... Are we more concerned with our stuff and things and house and life than we are about the things of God? And um, 
yeah, David's just a really good example. I seen how much he had and just seen the ark in a tent. It was like that, that bothered him. <clears throat> All right, subpoint A. There were obstacles. There were obstacles. Although David had the best intentions, he had an obstacle that he had to overcome in order to perform this task. That obstacle was his history. David told Solomon, the one whom God chose to build the temple, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8. <clears throat> but the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. So after, yeah, David told Solomon that, um, how, how would that make most of us feel? You know, while, while many of us would be discouraged or even despondent with this directive, David accepted the will of the Lord and then sought for something he could do to help his son. And it's so easy to you see something somebody's better at or whatever it is, and it's easy to get kind of despondent and um, instead of actually helping that person accomplish that goal that maybe you wish you would have been chosen to do or whatever it is, um, maybe be like David and just help him out. We need to be careful not to allow attitudes or actions into our lives that might hinder our effectiveness for the Lord. Any service we attempt for God in opposition to God's will is not service at all, but rather rebellion. We honor God only by doing things His way. Remember Cain? We read about him in Genesis 4 as he brought an offering out of his own efforts instead of the sacrifice God required. God refused his offering and gave him the opportunity to make it right. But in his rage and resentment, Cain chose to stay on his own path. He soon murdered his righteous brother Abel and spent the rest of his life in exile. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, God's plans will be fulfilled, and it is a wonderful thing when he allows us to be part of fulfilling them. Our part is to do God's work in God's way, and then we will experience God's provision and God's blessing. Why does God allow circumstances into our lives that would seem to hinder us from being more effective service? No doubt we'll all wondered about this from time to time. Let's recall some of those examples from Scripture and realize that God always knows best. We'll go over Joseph, Mary and Martha, and Paul. So in Joseph's life, we see this. Um, he's abandoned by his brothers, sold into slavery, uh, falsely accused, um, imprisoned, and forgotten in prison, lifted up, put back down. Um, but because he trusted God through all of this and did not allow himself to get bitter, he was in the right place at the right time um, to really preserve a, not only Egypt, but a lot of 
other people as well and really preserve Egypt and Israel. In Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. All right, so we see Joseph there. Now we'll take a look at Mary and Martha. Um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to be in their place in the situation uh, when Lazarus died, and they know how much Jesus loved Lazarus, and they knew what kind of power he had. They seen him heal people, um, but Lazarus died. Um, so that, that kind of position, uh, what they're thinking there. But the Lord knew best, and he's seen fit and better to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead rather than to just heal him. And as a result, there's a lot of people believed on the Lord. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. And then we'll look at the Apostle Paul and his famed thorn in the flesh. And not sure what this is. Uh, seemed some kind of physical affliction. And what do we know about that? He prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. Uh, but then the Lord uh, showed Paul that he had a, a purpose for that and was teaching him to glory in the Lord and not in himself. And just wanting to show Paul that his grace was all sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So David's response to his obstacle was acceptance. He accepted the fact that God's will would be done in his own time and his way. And it kind of goes, goes back to that. You know, the, David had an understanding of that, that God didn't need any help, but he was in there wanting to be part of that, even though he couldn't be the one to do it. He just wanted to be used to the Lord to get it done, and he did. Um, our response to obstacles and trials God brings us should be humble acceptance as well. All right, subpoint B, there were resources. There were resources. So we see, yeah, David surveyed the path. There were obstacles, but there were also resources. While it seemed as if the door had been shut regarding the building of the temple, God was about to again supply all that was necessary to fulfill his will and to bring honor to himself. We see this in 1 Chronicles 28. Um, we see that, and then it goes through a, a few verses here in 1 Chronicles 28. In the person, 1 Chronicles 28, 5 through 10, talk about uh, time after time throughout the scriptures, God chose a man to do his work. 
Here we see David announcing that his son Solomon would be the one to build the house of God in verse 6. He publicly, uh, publicly proclaiming what God had told him privately through Nathan. Uh, we also see the plan. Uh, David gave Solomon the pattern, the plans, the blueprints of the temple, uh, of the temple building itself and its furnishings and organization. He had all these in place as he began to gather the materials and resources. He had counted the cost and was willing to pay it. David had a vision for the construction of the house of God. He knew the project could not be completed unless it was done in a decent and orderly fashion. So the plan is kind of outlined in Chronicles 28, 11 through 13. And again, um, the Lord, going through here in 1 Chronicles 28, and how he fulfilled his will. We see the person, the plan. We also have the precious metals. A lot of precious metals. Um, that's shown in Chronicles 28, 14 through 18. God's house was to be truly special. And we went through, oh, if you go through um, some of those big oil barons, houses, and newspaper. Well, it is amazing, like, how rich somebody can get off of news. But uh, uh, Hearst Castle and, um, oh, what's that other big, Biltmore Mansion is crazy how big and extravagant some of these places are. But then you compare it to, like, Solomon's Temple. Like, the Hearst Castle had, like, one room. And it was pretty, maybe the size of this room, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And it had gold, 24 karat gold foil over everything. Solomon's temple was like plated in gold and it was huge. So just how amazing amount of precious metals that was in God's house. So God used David to gather great amounts, just unfathomable amounts in my view, of gold and silver to complete the building of the house of God. It is interesting to note that every vessel, every hook, and every basin was all to be gold and was to be in gold and silver. In this, as all other things, God deserved the best. <clears throat> While David was not able to build the temple himself and would not live to see it built, he certainly made a tremendous contribution to the work. This practice is equally important in the house of God today. Some positions and preparations in the church may not seem to be of great significance, but the New Testament teaches uh, that no part of the body of Christ is unimportant. If David had not done his part, the project would have been much more difficult and lengthy for his son Solomon. Again, it just goes that Lord doesn't really need us, but if he can use us, um, it, it's really special and, and important. Um, and being able to help help others accomplish something and just, you know, you can, preparing the way, showing others the way, uh, building that bridge for others is, is very important. And so with the person the plan and the precious metals, David prepared the resources for Solomon. 
First Chronicles 22, verse 5. And David said, Solomon my son, young and tender, and the house that is rebuilt for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent and musical, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Yeah, and this house is to be exceeding magnificent. I like that word. Exceeding magnificent. During the years and centuries to come, God's people were grateful uh, he had done so. When we leave this world, what will we leave behind? Uh, what will we leave behind us that is of lasting value and of eternal benefit? David's preparation for the temple was costly and timely. <clears throat> but when the temple was completed, it was a true testament to the greatness of God. Our work for God should cost us some sacrifice of time, money, or energy. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow had cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury had cast in all the living that she had. Just like the widow with the two mites, our service will not be measured by its success, but by our sacrifice. All right, so we're on to Point number three, David what the man? Supported the man. David supported the man. David had done much to prepare the way for the building of the temple, but he also knew it was important to prepare the man who would be doing the building. What David did to support his son should be done by any leader who hopes to prepare a child a Sunday school student, or a young Christian for the cause of Christ. Father's Day message right there. Um, Subpoint A, he showed his support by praying. All right. First Chronicles 29, verse 19. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart, to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for, for the which I have made provision. It is a common statement to hear someone say, I am praying for you, that is the least I can do. In reality, praying for someone is one of the greatest things we can do. In 1 Chronicles 29, 10-19, we see David praying that Solomon would have the right heart, and that he would fulfill what God would have him to do. David knew that out of a heart, out of the heart, were the issues of life. He also knew the danger of having a divided heart. He was, in effect, praying a hedge of protection around his son. We ought to seek to do this for others and to ask others to do this for us. Luke chapter 22, 31 through 32. Father, I pray for thee, that thy face fell not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
the Lord Jesus told Peter that he was praying for him. Although Peter temporarily gave in to Satan and denied his Lord, God answered the prayers of Christ and ultimately used Peter to bring 3,000 people to Christ on the day of Pentecost, uh, referencing Acts chapter 2, and many more afterwards to write the New Testament epistles and to serve the Lord faithfully until his martyrdom uh, many years later. Paul often requested prayers on his behalf. And, uh, if anybody go one of like the strongest, most fervent Christians in the Bible, you know, Paul is definitely one of those. Um, and he um, often requests prayer. You see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Brethren, pray for us. <clears throat> Excuse me, also in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Lord of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And Paul assured others that he was praying for them. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power. And also in Philippians 1, 9. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So David showed his support for Solomon by praying for Solomon's heart and for his actions in ministry. May we also be dedicated to pray for those who we wish to succeed in ministry. You know, I would kind of, um, yeah, and may we wish the things that God wishes as well. Um, Subpoint B, subpoint B, he showed his support by preparing. Oh, nice one. Quick on the draw there. Showed his support by preparing. In 1 Chronicles 22, 6 through 16, we see that David not only prayed for his son, but he also took time to prepare his son for the task that was ahead of him. David prepared Solomon by showing him that he would prosper if he followed the law of the Lord. Uh, referencing 1 Chronicles 22, verse 13, David also helped him by preparing men who would help his son. As a final part of David's preparing his son, he prodded him to start doing what God ordained him to do. There's a referencing 1 Chronicles 22, 15, and 16. And us as sons sometimes needs a little prodding uh, in the right direction. And uh, David did that. And we remember that for our children. We need to command our children to do right. A major part of preparing is helping those who are following us to wage battle against procrastination. Ooh. One of Satan's most beguiling tactics, tactics is to tell people to do it later, uh, whether this is with service or with sacrifice. This one's, this one's tough. This one especially hits uh, me hard with um, witnessing. The people I know, you know, it's like, ah, I should go say something. I'll do it later. 
and failed way too much uh, there. And then you find yourself moving. So it's like, ah, that one's been on my mind of, I've been wanting to go invite my neighbors to this and that for church and stop by and I've done it once or twice, but it's been way more than once or twice that I know I needed to do it. Just didn't do it, but I'll, I'll do it next year or I'll, I'll do it the next thing. And we're moving. So uh, I shudder to think uh, what was left there. Uh, it was really the, the, the devil's, one of his best tactics there. But the Bible says, <clears throat> David charged Solomon. Synonyms for this word could be commanded, enjoined, or exhorted. On this occasion, David forcefully spoke to fully convey to Solomon. Um, ooh, this is like a tough word. I wasn't sure how to say this. But the solemnity, basically a solemnness, making up my word here, the solemnness of his responsibility to God. We as believers today need to take seriously our responsibility to actively prepare those who will succeed us. We will see examples of this throughout the Bible and history. Because Moses himself was not allowed to lead his people into the promised land, God instructed Moses to prepare Joshua, the man who would succeed Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 28. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. Also, we have Deuteronomy 31 7 through 8. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for, for thou must go with, with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will not, he will be with thee, neither <coughs> fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Elijah was told to find and adjoint his successor, Elisha. Elisha ministered to Elijah uh, faithfully and refused to leave his side until the Lord took Elijah to be with him. And we got this Elijah and Elisha, easy to get it mixed up, guys, but... Elijah was the first guy, and Elisha, no, yes, and Elisha ministered to Elijah. I, these ones are really hard to get straight for me. But, so we got 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 through 21. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then will I follow thee, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave them to the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. And the story continues in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 2, and 4 and 6. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. 
Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to battle. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to battle. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee, hear, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. So we see this illustration with Elisha to Elijah. Um, we also see an, an illustration with um, Dwight L. Moody. Uh, he brought uh, R.A. Torrey to work uh, with him in Chicago in 1889 to head up a newly formed Bible Institute. When Moody died 10 years later, Torrey took up a worldwide evangelistic ministry. Uh, Torrey had studied Moody's life closely and in 1923 preached a message which is still being circulated, Why God Used D.L. Moody. If we, are to see Christian, uh, if we are to see Christianity thrive in the future, we must actively support uh, we must be actively supporting the next generation. We can do this through our prayers and through our preparations, just as David used this formula to build the temple through his son. Solomon, uh, we too, uh, well, just as David used this formula to build the temple through his son Solomon, we too can use prayer and preparation to build a lasting work through the next generation of believers. In, con in conclusion, today more than ever before, there are works that need to be done for the cause of Christ. We truly do need to, to work, for the night is coming when no man can work. John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. While God may not have a temple for us to build, he, has, he undoubtedly has many works that he would like to see done. Uh, what we cannot accomplish for God ourselves, we need to assist others to do. And further, we need to always remember those who are coming after us. Has ends with this illustration here. Uh, Will Allen Drumgoole once wrote a poem entitled The Bridge Builder, which reads... An old man, going alone uh, highway, came at evening, cold and gray, to a chasm vast and deep and wide, through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him. But he turned, when safe on the other side, and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You'll never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at eventide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said. There followeth after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been not to me, to that fair-haired youth may pitfall be. He too must cross 
in the twilight dim, good friend, I am building this bridge for him. That was a pretty good ending illustration here for that, um, for that poem. So we will, we will stop there. We have a couple minutes for some questions. So we'll go ahead and go over some of the questions. Uh, we'll start with that first question. Why did David want to build a house for God? Yep. Yep. And it really comes to comes down to it. Uh, he just had that heart for God. Uh, and it, it just drove him crazy that he was living in such a nice house and, and just wanted to show his gratitude to the Lord. All right. Good answer. Uh, point. Or question number two, how did David react when God denied him permission to build the temple? He did really good. Yeah, he dealt with it. Dealt with it pretty good. How would resources for it? Yeah. How would like probably ninety percent of people deal with uh, well, you just go with the kids of when you tell your child they can't do something but the other kid can what generally happens don't generally have a good attitude but David did react good he actually helped uh, David start or helped Solomon start preparing for that yeah 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 you could have just gave up right then. He knew he wasn't going to take the children of Israel into the promised land, so that, that's, I'm done. But no, he did. He followed through with the Lord and uh, started working with Joshua to, to take the people in. All right, question number three. List some things that David did to prepare for the building of the temple. He prayed. What were some of those resources? Gold. Gold. <laughs> gold. A lot of gold. Silver. those big old trees. Yeah. Cedars from Lebanon? Something like that. Big old cedar trees. Also, he brought in, uh, started preparing craftsmen and stuff as well. They got the... Uh, the blue collar guys in. All right, anybody else got a got one? Something that's not what we talked about in this lesson, but he he prepared by organizing all the worship. I mean, you know, like the Levites and their courses, and he made. I just read the other morning. He made all kinds of instruments mm -hmm. for them to use. I mean, he he did a lot. Yeah, pretty much every aspect of it. You can tell, like, this was what was, like, on David's mind. Um, just really, like, his last uh, 
bit of his life was just, you can tell, it was just, yeah, smothered in that, just gathering that stuff and just thinking through the building plans. And yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, there is a lot there of <coughs> just the, the worship and the instruments. And yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good one. All right, question number four. How did David prepare Solomon for the work ahead? Katie already mentioned one. He, he really prayed for him. Uh, there's another one specifically. Um, what all young men need every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, he probably got a lot, lots of whoopings. But yeah, we all... Yeah, that's young man. Uh, we all need that little more than encouragement, um, little prodding, um, an exhortation. Um, but he also he also mentored him spiritually as well. If we are not able to serve God in the specific way we would prefer, how should we react? Hard, hard one to say, but David has a pretty good, pretty good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a that is a loaded question there, for sure. All right, question number six. How can we help others? Do that which we personally cannot do in God's service. Just think of, uh, there could be lots of different avenues and thoughts and, and things, but um, one thing specifically with our, our missionaries, you know, not everybody can be, can be missionaries or, or called to be missionaries, but uh, we can really help those, uh, the Ben Hall family. Um, be able to do their do their work there just by like I said the least we can do is pray for them but that's probably again the the most powerful thing powerful thing we can do for them but else have examples maybe a different situation yeah themselves in a spot, particularly those who have been divorced, uh, maybe have been in the ministry. That doesn't, you know, they, mm. they may disqualify them for some things, <clears throat> but it doesn't mean they can't get in there and still serve the Lord and support those who can. Mm. I've seen that and uh, have a lot of respect for those people who, who, who do that. Mm. That's, a, that's a good example. Yeah, um, talked to um, a fella like that. It was encouraging because he does have a real heart for the Lord and desire, but he knows what the Bible says and he's accepted that, that he can't do um, that. But he's right in there helping his pastor and uh, just in the work and uh, in outreach um, stuff as well, and it's, it's pretty neat. So yeah, it's a it's a big example. 
All right, question number seven. What are some specific prayers we can offer for others in the work of God? Ooh, there can be a lot of those. good one. That is a good one. Yeah, there's a, those are some good examples. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can meet their, something as, you know, missionaries as well, as simple as meeting their everyday needs in some of those places. Um, but yeah, specifically for our pastors and stuff, yeah, right words to say. The spirit, it's easy to get in the flesh, um, especially dealing with some of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's any and everything, um, a lot of, lot of things we can pray for, uh, for our pastors, our, our missionaries, uh, even for our moms and dads and children and wives and, um, you know, really any Christian is in the work of God. Uh, how can we help prepare those with whom we have influence? Peanut butter pie. Uh, yeah. And again, we can, this Father's Day thing of uh, being with our, our kids, being, you know, especially as dads, we're, and sometimes my wife keeps reminding me of this. I'm like, Don't put so much pressure on me. <laughs> but we are kind of the, um, example of the Heavenly Father to our children. And if we can't be that example to our children, it's going to be hard for them to see kind of the relationship that we should have with, with the Lord. And uh, we kind of have a relationship with our children and teach them about the Lord and hiding God's Word in their hearts and making the things of God important in making them important to us um, just all shows how the Lord is uh, should be in our lives but it's hard to um, easy to talk the talk as they say and, and not walk the walk but it's the walk speaks louder than the talk the whole walk talk 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 little saying last Last was it last week? Yeah, I can't remember what that was, but anyway, yeah, it was something like your talk talk or your talk talks, but your walk talks. Ooh, that's gonna be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that one. <laughs> All right, so, um, Dad, could you come up and close us in a word of prayer and give your close us and Well, it seems like where God's nudging us, it's, it's just continues to do it through different different avenues. These aren't like all thought through and I read through and trying to put these things together. It just seems to be a, a constant theme uh, with us, especially in this, this area of preparation and looking to the future. Um, does anybody remember what, <clears throat> what I called the, the building project early on? Exceeding magnificent. Uh, now that had a meaning in, in uh, David's day, what that was, and it has a meaning for us. But I see a building and resources and being able to train people uh, as we bring people in and just to build a, a solid, solid work um, to, to see us do it um, in a very good financial way uh, to prepare a place for a pastor that we could actually pay a pastor if we look at our finances now that doesn't doesn't have room for that but that's all part of uh, what I'm seeing what God's called me to do is, is to do to do that to, to start it to start a church and to see it to that to that extent um, so but even with David you know yeah he he's responsible for all these things but he didn't do those himself <laughs> he had a group of people to have to to do that he did his part and everybody did their part in that as well and something along the lines just personally for you all in projects like this sometimes you get a vision and I can just say that I've had projects that I've done that afterwards I realized the Lord just wasn't in it and I worked myself to death in it and it was frustrating and just didn't come out right. You know, you remember as a kid, you, you know how you try to do this thing and you just destroy it at the end. It was kind of like that. But I've also had projects when the Lord was in it. I was just amazed how it came together. And this, this is a small thing, but um, we bought uh, that wagon. God used that wagon a lot. And, uh, but I had to rebuild all the wood on it. And it just, I don't know, it was just so easy and went together so well. I mean, just all the parts and, you know, it's just building it from scratch. And, you know, I'm not a wagon builder, and, uh, but God was in it. And sometimes, you know, like with this building project, uh, the timing is, is important. And uh, sometimes, you know, I've got lots of ideas and things that I want to do. God may set them aside, but sometimes they just, you just got to wait a little bit. And so it's, it's hard to do. But there are some things, folks. You know, when the grass is high, you just need to cut it. <laughs> you don't need to wait on the Lord to tell you that, you know. So those are some kind of things, you know, from a project standpoint as we're studying here with David and, uh, and, the, and the temple being built and what a wonderful thing it was. So I'm excited for us to, to together to, to push forward into these, these areas. And um, I think it'll be a blessing and we'll be able to be a blessing to many people in that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your lessons again on, on David and um, 
how we can learn these things and, and just the, the amazingness of it and um, help us to be inspired and to, um, Lord, look to you and to get your guidance and things, to accept where we're at and what we can do. And um, I pray, Lord, as for the leaders of this church, boy, we need, we need you. Um, and, and, and for you to get all the glory in all things. And uh, so we just ask for that. We ask for your protection. And uh, Father, we just thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.